I was kind of amazed by Isaac on that drum and the guitar and singing. And I mean, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> well, on this first day of the year, I would like to say to you, Happy Father's Day. You thought I was going to say Happy New Year, didn't you? But I want you to remember this as a Father's Day. Because we're going to talk about the Father God, our Father God. And as Austin said, the next three weeks we're doing a series on the Trinity, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you know, we kind of get the idea that this Trinity idea, which isn't a Bible word, it's a theological word that we've used to describe that concept, we get the idea that that's a kind of a New Testament thing. But the reality is, the first few verses of the Bible tell us about the God who is three in one. So if, you, if you've got your Bible, start at the beginning. Easy to find. But Genesis chapter 1. First verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's God the Father. Second verse says, the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So that's the Spirit. That's God the Spirit is hovering. Another word that's used for that hovering is the word brooding. That's what a a mama hen does over her eggs and hatches them. So the Spirit of God is over creation, hatching a whole new world. And then in the third verse it says, And God said. Now we get new insight into that when we turn to the book of John, starting out in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning... Start out just like Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So that speaking that God does on every day of creation, and the Lord God said, what does He use to speak with? Words, just like you and me. And He speaks creation into existence through His Word. That's the Son. So in creation, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit right there at the beginning. And it goes on in verse 26 and talks about the creation of of man and woman. And it says, then God said, let us, us, that sounds plural to me. Does that sound plural to you? Let us make man in our, plural, image. Okay, so God is saying he wants to make people in his image. The Godhead is a community. God didn't create you and me because he needed somebody to love. He already had somebody to love. The community of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But he wanted to extend that love. God wanted to multiply that love by creating us. And he's created us to be in community, and we're not who we're supposed to be if we're not in community. Because we're created in the image of God, and God is a community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I heard a story about a ministry called Prison Fellowship that was started by a man named Chuck Colson, who was part of the Watergate scandal years ago, before a lot of you were alive. You probably heard about it in your history books, though. Everything that we do now ends in gate, you know, 
travel gate, whatever. I mean, it's like, but it all goes back to Watergate. And this man, Chuck Colson, working for President Nixon, got in a lot of trouble and got sent to prison. And there he found Christ. And God gave him a passion for prisoners. In fact, even here at the prison here in Lincoln, we have this ministry, Prison Fellowship. So one of their prisons, they got this idea on Mother's, for Mother's Day. They bought a bunch of Mother's Day cards. They brought envelopes, and they brought stamps. And they let all the prisoners that wanted one have a Mother's Day card. And they ran out of cards. So they thought, you know, that was a great idea. We're not going to have that happen again. So Father's Day, you know, it's after Mother's Day, rolls around. So they bring a bunch more Father's Day cards and stamps and envelopes. The only problem was nobody showed up for a Father's Day card. Because a lot of the men in prison don't know who their dad is, or they have a horrendous relationship with their dad, even an abusive one. They don't know, they don't have the relationship with their father that they really want to have. And unfortunately, we as believers can be someone like that as well. Do we really know God as our father? This is why Jesus came. So that we could know God as our Father, not just our judge, not just the one who controls the universe, but as our Father. So what does that mean? We're going to talk about that this morning. There's a man named Andrew Murray who wrote a book called The True Vine. This is what he says. The greatest downfall of the Christian life is that even where we trust Christ, we leave the Father out. Christ came to bring us to God the Father. His life of dependency on the Father was a life in the Father's love. Jesus is the way, but Father is the destination. Isn't that good? Jesus is the way, but Father is the destination. thought Katie did a really good job reading there this morning. I, I wouldn't apologize to her. They made her read so much when she's pregnant. She's breathing for two people. I have new compassion of that because my daughter's pregnant too, and she's having trouble breathing as well. But uh, the first thing we want to look at is uh, what we want to look at is we want to look at some privileges that God gives us because he's our father. I wrote a, wrote a book a few years ago. It's called From Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship, written by a guy named Jack Frost. Easy to remember, good winter name. Okay, And he was a seaboat captain, and uh, he, he grew up in a home where he didn't really have a good relationship with his father. And through a course of events, he tells, his, tells us his story, and he came to know Christ. But even after he'd come to know Christ, he kind of had this performance idea about God, because that's how he'd related to his earthly father. And the difficult thing about it being an earthly father is that our children tend to get our, their view of what God the Father is like from us. And I know this is true because my children's father has fallen short. I hope you connected the dots, what I was saying there. Okay, He hasn't been who God the Father is. And I've fallen short. And this is what Jack is struggling with. But he comes to a realization that he can have a deep relationship with Father God. 
If I would ask you what your relationship with your father's like, I'd get some answers like, it's really good, or I'd get, it's difficult, it's awkward, it's heart-rending, if we would really talk. I'd like to, this morning as we get into God's Word, and my, it's my prayer that God's Spirit will awaken in you that God-given desire to have a deep relationship with your Heavenly Father. And not to push that away because of some father who's fallen short, just like me. My biggest wish for my children my grandchildren is that they would have a deep, satisfying relationship with their Heavenly Father. Not me. I I fall too far short. I want them to have a relationship with Him. Jack Frost put it this way. Again, his book's called Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship. He says, moving from slavery to sonship or daughtership is a matter of reaching the place where you get up in the morning feeling so loved and accepted in your father's heart that your whole purpose for existence becomes to give that love away to the next person you meet. Home is where you constantly hear the voice of God speaking his affirmation over you his love over you, and his forgiveness, compassion, and grace over you. We all want to have a home. In the book of John, which in the future we're going to spend some long protracted time in the book of John here, but uh, in John chapter 14, what Katie read to us this morning, there's 22 times that God the Father is mentioned. And in John 13 through 17, which Jesus gave to his disciples just before he went to the cross, with John 14 right in the middle of it, he says 44 times he talks about God as our Father. And in the whole book of John, there's 143 references to God as our Father. This obviously is a message that John, the beloved disciple, wants us to know about God. And it's a message that Christ continue to communicate. I heard a story of uh, Queen Elizabeth when she was a little girl. She'd often like to go into the king's chambers, her grandfather, King Frederick, and see him. And when she went into the chamber, the doors opened up, the first thing she would do is, and I don't know how to do this very well, but she would curtsy because he is the king. And then she would run down the aisle and jump into his lap because he was her grandfather. See, that's the kind of relationship we need to have with God our Father. We need to curtsy because he is the king. But there's an overwhelming privilege that little Princess Elizabeth had that we have as well. We can jump into his lap because he's our father. We're going to talk about three privileges from this passage. John 14, 1 through 3. First thing he says is, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, if you look back into chapter 13, he's just told them that Judas is going to betray him and that Peter's going to deny him. And previously he says, and the rest of you are going to run away. Let not your hearts be troubled. Can you imagine what their hearts are like at this moment? He's telling them that they're going to send him to the cross, and they don't want it to be true. They want to argue him out of it being true. But everything he said up to this point has been true. They're afraid. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that there you may be with me also. In the Jewish culture, when a young man was engaged or betrothed to a young woman, he would start building an addition onto his father's house. And when he got that addition finished, they didn't ever know quite when that was, and father, you know, his father approved it and said, it's ready to go. Then they could go get his bride and bring his bride to his house. And they'd have a big wedding supper and a feast for a week or so, and then they would move into the father's house. Well, see, this is a picture of the reality that's true for all of us as believers, is someday the bridegroom, Jesus, is going to come get his bride, the church, and he's going to take us to be with him in his father's house forever. And he says that's the protection, is the first privilege that the father is going to give us. He's going to protect us. We're going to be with him forever. A few weeks ago, we looked at this passage. I'm going to refer it to you again. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is protecting what he has promised us. We have a sure home in heaven. This is not your home. You're just a passing through. And that's a confidence that all of us can have. A friend of mine is an author. Her name's Joe Caratini. She has a blog that she writes, and this is what she, she talks about this reality. She says, the starting Christian confidence, startling, I'm sorry, Christian confidence is that God can be approached as Father in the unique and pressing gift of the Son. She goes on and tells a story about a guy named Reverend Deveridge who lives in Mumbai, India. And he has a ministry called the Father's House. And mostly he goes up and down the streets. He's been doing this for over 20 years. And he reaches out to orphan children, drug addicts, and victims of the sex trade. And he says, come to the Father's House. He has a place for them to come and be safe and to be loved And he often asks them over and over and again to come because they don't trust him at first. But some come. Sometimes he asks them for years. Such, Jill goes on and says, such is the radical, simple message of Christ. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. What if, and then she says this, what if there is indeed not a cosmic sadist, that's some people's view of God, He's just up there trying to punish us. Or an indifferent force, God doesn't really care, but a father who waits, who longs to gather his children together and take them into his arms. This gift is both the highest theology and ordinary miracle. God offers us a place held within the greater gift of adoption. He wants to bring us into his family. This God is Father, whose name is hallowed and whose kingdom comes whom we know through the Son and by the Spirit, whom we, are, who we run toward as children crying, Abba, Father. 
So that's part of the protection, is the ultimate place that God wants to take us. But God also protects us in another way. He protects us through his commands. That probably surprises you. How did, he protects us, us, protects us by what he commands us to do. His commands are not meant to keep us from having fun. But they are rather the boundaries of his blessing. If we run within the railroad tracks of his commands, the locomotive of our life can get where he wants us to go. How far do locomotives go when they get off the tracks? It's usually a mess. In fact, it's always a mess. But God has given us his commands as the boundaries of his blessing, those rails that keep us on track. John 14 here, 21 through 23. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. See, the way we show our love to God is by obeying, by trusting that what he says is true, and then following through with it in our lives. He's not up there trying to spoil your life. He's trying to bless it. And when I trust him, I obey And then I know his love as I trust him. See, the difficult thing is, God, could you just show me how this is going to work out and then I'll obey? But it doesn't work that way. We have to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's what he's calling all of us to do as his disciples. Trust, obey, follow. A number of years ago, one of my daughters was started to date a guy. And I didn't really know the guy, so I thought, well, let's go out for coffee. This is in high school. So we're at a coffee shop. This guy's like, what's with the Fruit Loop dad? I don't know what's going on here, you know? <laughs> so we're, we're sitting in this coffee shop, and I said, you know, let's just talk for a second. This is my daughter, and she's very precious to me. And I don't really know you, so I'd like to lay down some ground rules of how I want you to treat her. I mean, can you, I mean, you imagine you're a high school kid, you know, I said this, and this is, this is how I'd like you to treat her. He said, okay. So he waited a while and kind of did some checking here and there and found out he wasn't treating her that way. So I said, okay, do you still want to date my daughter? He said, yeah. I said, well, this time bring your dad. Okay. So now I'm sitting with this kid and his dad and my daughter. And I'm looking him in the eye, and the dad's a little upset with me. And I said, now, here's what I laid down. You didn't keep it, right? No. Will you keep it now? Yes. Okay. The dad's a little, still a little upset with me. So then I find out later he's not keeping it. So I said, it's over, baby. <laughs> and my daughter wasn't real happy about it, to be honest. A few months later, she came to me and she said, Dad, thank you for protecting me. And not too long ago, I got to marry that daughter to a young man that kept the rules. What a privilege that was for me. She had a little bit of trust, 
And it grew to a bigger trust. And I don't love my daughter in any way or near as much as God loves you. He wants to protect you. How is it gone when you got off the rails? Did it go well? I would venture to guess it hasn't. God wants to protect you by his commands. That's the privilege of the protection of a father. We go on. Verses, back to verse 4, he says, And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Don't you just love the disciples and the questions they ask? Because those are the questions that we have. And the next thing he says is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Thank God for Thomas that he had a question. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, Jesus is the way because without him we're lost. Jesus is the truth because without him we're deceived. Jesus is the life because without him we're dead. We are dead. The soul that sins shall die. We are cut off from God because of our sin. Jesus paid the penalty for our waywardness, our truthlessness, and our lifelessness. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're wayward. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're truthless when we say we haven't sinned. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. You see, life is relationship. Death is separation. The wages of sin, the payment for sin, is we die spiritually with God. But the free gift of God is eternal life, relationship, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then that other verse from John you've, you've heard before. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I heard a story of a father and his young son that were walking along a railroad track just kind of out having a good time and enjoying themselves and all of a sudden, they kind of saw a bridge off in the distance there, and the father looked down and noticed that something really concerned him. He saw that one of the rails had come loose. And he knew later in the day that a train was going to be coming by, a passenger train. And he knew that if that train went off the tracks, it was going to go into the ravine, and many people would be killed and injured. So he went and got a limb and a big rock and started trying to use it as a lever to move that rail back into place. And then he heard a sound that scared him. It was the sound of the whistle of the train. And so he began working more feverishly to try to get that rail back in place. And then he heard a sound that scared him even more. Because in the busyness of trying to accomplish this, he'd forgotten about his little boy. Who was now in the middle of the railroad bridge saying, Daddy, what is that noise? And at that moment, he had a decision to make. Would he drop what he was doing, run, grab his little boy, run to the other side of the bridge and watch the passenger train plummet into the ravine? Or would he put the rail back in place? Well, a few moments later, as the passenger train went whisking by, 
There in the ditch stood a broken-hearted father who gave his son so that those people could live, most of them never knowing the sacrifice that had been made. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, that's how much the Father loves us. See, the gospel is the good news, is that we no longer have to relate to God as our righteous judge for the things that we've done wrong, but as our loving, heavenly Father. That's what God's done for us in Christ. It's a provision, the second privilege that we look at here, is a provision of a pardon It goes on here, another provision that God has made for us in verses 12 through 14. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What does it mean to pray in the name of the Father? A man named Ron Dunn, I heard one of his messages, he talked about he and his family went to the county fair, and it was like all the cousins, family reunion, so he went and bought a whole roll of tickets for the kids to go on the rides, and so he's kind of, you know, every ride, he's standing there handing out tickets, and all the cousins are in line getting the ticket, you know? So they do a bunch of rides, and they come to another ride, and he's doing it, and all of a sudden, at the back of the line, there's this, this kid that he's never seen before. You know, it's like, hey, this was like a good line to be in. You know, this guy's handing out tickets. So he puts out his hand, and he, he says, I pulled back those tickets. I'm not giving this kid a ticket. I don't know who this kid is. And his son walked up and said, Dad, he's my friend. Give him a ticket. So in the name of his son, he gave the little boy a ticket. When you and I pray in Jesus' name, and we say, God, Father, would you... Answer my prayer. Would you meet my need? Jesus says, she's my friend. Give her a ticket. He's my friend. Give him a ticket. That's another privilege that we have is the privilege of prayer. It doesn't mean that all of our problems are going to go away. It means that God's going to give us peace in the midst of the pain. All of us have gone through bumps and bruises, and we prayed, God, would you please remove this? And he goes, you know, this time we're not going, it's not going to get removed, we're going through. I'm going to go through with you. You're going to have, I heard someone say one time, don't pray for an easy life, pray to be a strong person. And God's going to take you through, through his presence, that's his peace. He says, my peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But lastly, I just want to look quickly at the, the real purpose of both his provision and his protection is that we would have a deep relationship with him. You know, a father can provide and protect, but if you don't really have a relationship with him, then you're still deeply wanting. There are a lot of good fathers out there that provide and protect but their kids still want a relationship with them. And in John 14 as well, Jesus says, in, uh, starting out in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known the Father. For now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip says, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Have I been with you so long you would not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? See, it was the ministry of Christ to help us understand who the Father is. Believe me, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me, or else believe on accounts of the works themselves. See, all of us struggle with an orphan heart versus having a child's heart. Because when we didn't know Christ, we had an orphan heart. We were orphans. We were estranged from God. But just because we put our faith and trust in Christ doesn't mean we're operating with a child's heart. It's like we haven't learned to operate in that way. Imagine if you were an orphan. Say you're living in Mexico City and you live on the junk pile, the, the big dump that's in the middle of Mexico City that all the orphans run to to get their food. And all of a sudden, some good, loving family adopts you. You know what you'd do the first time you got food? You'd grab it. Because you'd still be operating with an orphan heart. You'd go into the pantry and you'd steal food and you'd hide it in places. Because you'd still be operating with an orphan heart. But God doesn't want us to operate with an orphan heart. He wants to have a child's heart. See, an orphan heart has counterfeit affections. Things like performance and power and possessions and passions of the flesh and positions and even people and places become the most important things in our lives. Augustine said, our, re- our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. The Father has protected us and provided for us that we might go to him to find a deep and intimate relationship. In Galatians chapter 4, it says this, verses 6 and 7. Because you are sons, God has sent his spirit into his heart, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That word, Abba, is the word that we use for, is the word we use, Daddy or Papa. See, Jesus came so that we could know God as Daddy, Papa. You've heard the phrase, who's your daddy? Who is your daddy? Who is your papa? Who is your Abba, father? It's God himself. Jesus did not want his disciples to have an orphan heart. He wanted them to have a child's heart. So let me just close with this. An orphan has no home, but in Christ a child has a place in father's house. An orphan has no family, but in Christ we have a pardon that makes us members of God's, the, God the Father's family. An orphan has no example, but in Christ we know Father's person and can follow his example. An orphan has no resources, but in Christ we have the provision of Father's wealth and abundance. An orphan has no companionship, but in Christ we have the presence of Father in us by his Spirit. An orphan has no direction, but in Christ we have the protection of the Father's principles for life. An orphan has no rest, but in Christ we have peace from Father that the world can't take away. My prayer for you this year is that you would deepen in your trust and joy because God, the God of heaven, is your loving Heavenly Father. Let's close in a word of prayer.